not a powerful voice at all. Wasn't that a great song? So some of you may say, you know what, if that's the kind of singing you guys do at the lake, can we still sign up? Yes, you can. Uh, so I'm asking actually that all of you guys that are uh, singers and songwriters uh, to be ready to share your music around the campfire. Can you do that? You know that I always tag you anyway, so I don't know why I'm asking. But it might remind you to bring your favorite guitar if you want to. So um, we've had since last year multiple songs having been written, and they're touching people. Um, and, I, and I'm excited because that's, that's an awesome work of the Spirit. That's a fruit of the Spirit, so that's great. Mark, can you come up here really quick, Mr. Mark Saunders? I know I'm going to scare you, but just come on up here really quick. Mark, have you been in this facility with me before? Okay, how many times? Twice. This is your third time or is your second time? Okay. So I wanted to make sure, because very often people that are special uh, in my life, they get absorbed in your lives, and I'm at the door and... Kind of like the Maytag repairman, I go there to meet you and you guys are just having a great bubbly time here and then somebody uses a technique called distraction and they suck me back in here and then everybody bails. And so I never really get to say goodbye to anybody. It's a good technique, you've got it down, it's working well. But at any rate, uh, Mark and Jenna, um, I met them just right in the early parts of 2000, but Mark actually was one of our first youth pastors at Calvary. Chapel Rogue River. So he knew Karis and Spencer. Uh, Zachary and Everest, I think that was after the fact. I don't remember. So that was 20 years ago plus. And uh, he's grown. I have and I'm shrinking. But I thought it would be just really important for you to see how generationally that works out. When I knew Mark, we celebrated with another pastor friend of ours, Bobby Belt, who pastors a church up in Canby, Oregon, uh, they were, we celebrated your 21st birthday, didn't we? Yeah, yeah 21st, February something, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, with eggs, I mean, it was the full, it was, it was a gourmet breakfast down in Mexico. And so, uh, and look what that's done. Just investing in people where they're at as you are where you need to be. That's the key. Actually, today's lesson is really about that where you are, doing what you've called or been called to do, you invite people into your world. Now we can't invite per se everybody in the intimacy of all that because that's being more than what God has equipped us to be, but we do get to share great encounters. And it's not to embarrass Mark in any way, but I'm, I'm saying to you that uh, I was, I'll rat on myself, I went to the sushi place in a car, I, pull, I waited for a car to pull out so I could pull in and then he pulls in behind me and I thought it was a disguised police officer but it was Mark who recognized the suburban and uh, we got out and shook hands and I confirmed that he would be coming to the service today but I want to let you know that he poured into our kids so whatever you may say about how impressed you are with him he's one of the guys as well as his wife that took on my kids when they were kids. The same kids that you saw coming across the stage was the age of my kids. And so that's the way it works. It's one person at a time that invested his life in the lives of the young. So don't ever discount 
the effect of the youth back there for what they will become someday up here or out there. And Mark's an example of that. So delighted that you could join us with your family. Do you have anything good to say about me? I remember Rich long enough to know in church when he was 47, two years in a row. <laughs> I forgot a year. And I had to argue, you heard the story, but I had to argue with my twin brother who was in Iraq at the time. And he was calling to celebrate our birthday. And I said, yeah, happy whatever. And he goes, no, 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 it's not whatever. It's specifically, it was the 47th, right? And I believed I was moving into the 48th. So I do have problems every once in a while. So at any rate, and he also remembers the little pink, uh, little sequined slippers I wore to church one Sunday, right? You have a picture of it, along with the pink boa that I was wearing in the morning when I woke you up. He, he, we brought him into our place, and he had an opportunity to live in the trailer next door. But I would always wake him up on Sundays to make sure he didn't sleep in. And whatever else needs to be done with trailers, like hoses that need to be you know, taken care of, I, that was me. But one Sunday I was sleepy, so I grabbed whatever I could, and I ended up putting on Christy's pink robe and these slippers, which I forgot to remove. So the pink robe went back in the closet, but the pink slippers, the, yeah, the real prissy ballerina slippers went with my feet to church, and I wasn't forgiven by some of the congregants there. So then when I kicked them off, I was also rebuked for being barefoot in the house of God. So that was a time I could not win, and Mark took a picture of it. So if he calls it up, you know, pay him for it. Okay, make him pay for sending that to you. All right. Thanks, Mark, for coming on up here. But wonderful people that we've gotten to know throughout the years and who has a family right now, lovely family. And so they've come to get out of the heat. We're going ahead to enter the heat. So if you guys can come up, though, tomorrow when you, when you pull up, Visit, if you could, if you can drop by Galesville, just come on up, okay? We'll get you a boat ride. Maybe three of them. All right. Let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 119, because I want to finish that series off. It's probably the most uh, comprehensive, at least as far as a psalm, that's been captured, because we started the Psalm 119 while we were still here. So there have been a couple of uh, times where... We didn't get it. Uh, I think one obviously was at the beach, but the majority of it has been captured, and so we'll conclude it today. And if you want to take dictation, Chris, it has a premise to it. It's a rather lengthy title, so. The beginning, the becoming, the bemoaning, and the beautiful breaking. That's how we're going to conclude Psalm 119 today. The beginning, the becoming, the bemoaning, the beautiful breaking. That's in essence what's covered. As we open Psalm 119, and I'll find my place there with my nice leather marker, it opened with these words, and I want to capture them for us. 
Here's how Psalm 119 opened up all those many months ago. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You've commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. And I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. It actually is a very beautiful, promising opening. It is what we would say compels us to be interested in the dialogue that very often is a part of books that we read, poetry that we pen, movies that we enjoy watching, because it captivates parts of our unique humanity. We understand that there is much about our humanity that doesn't withstand much of the world's carnality, easily susceptible. We know that. We know that in novels, very often, there are tricks in verbiage to put us off the mark of understanding how the ending is coming. And some of us can't wait for the ending, therefore we go to the end of the chapter, the book, and read it. Or we read the publisher's critique of it. Sometimes we make up our decisions about a movie or a book based on the opinions of others. Sometimes it works, very often it doesn't. And the reason that it doesn't is because that was the opinion of someone else, not us. And so we're not talking about the things that we would per se be ashamed of viewing or reading. Some of that is true. But we're talking about the substance of what really does inspire our personality, our soul. Because God has given us language, and he is indeed the word of God. It means that words are effectual. They really do have a deep place within our hearts, and it does at times affect us very deeply in terms of our response. It really does. Think of the last time you were insulted. Think of the last time that somebody in either arrogance or ignorance, just spontaneity, said something that was highly insulting. It throws your footstep off. It causes you to have a hiccup in your breathing pattern. Your mind at times wrestles with the cruelty of the thoughts of another, when in fact it may not have been anything too intentional, but the enemy uses that. So why is this right now being given as, as a point to take on the closure of Psalm 119? Because it was the beginning. And the closing of Psalm 119 where we are starting off well with a commitment, with a real burn in our hearts to follow the Lord precisely. Psalm 119 has just a little bit of what we could say, that sounds like me. Here's what it says 
in the conclusionary part of it, picking it up in 176. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. It has a real honest disclosure to the conclusion. If this was the conclusion of this novel, we would say, how sad. In essence, the title was inviting us to really say, that sounds like my life. That sounds like, at times, what I've always presumed about God to be so encouraging. The beginning of it all. The time that we would say of newfound love with God, meaning that he never lost his love for us. Somehow we lost our love for him. That can happen. Jesus would say to a church, in particular Ephesus, you've lost your first love. You've lost what heart you had for me in the beginning. And so repent. Come back to me. The reason that that's important is, one, it is an exhortation we are to respond to, but it also tells us that as Jesus would be saying that to the personality of one of seven churches, it really can be within our personality as well to return to our first love. And the Lord isn't saying that insultingly, nor is he saying it on the premise that if one more day goes past in which our love for him is not demonstrated dynamically, that's it. We're breaking. It's over. Because that is not what the Lord does. And sometimes understanding that we're actually far more similar in how we start our spiritual pilgrimage and at times how it seems to even have that question mark about how well is it going, God would say, as that song was sung, follow me, be my disciple. In vocational businesses, when we fail, we get a critique that usually sometimes comes in the form of fired. Failure, fired, finished. I think that I've been fired twice. And that is not unusual, even where the premise of last week's teaching, footsteps of faith, always lead to the fire. On the beach, though, which some of you may not have been able to hear, moving into that was emphasized, and also at the breakfast, but in the fire, the faithful one meets us. That was taken from Daniel. Footsteps of faith always lead to the fire, but the fire always reveals the faithful one, the Son of God, Jesus. So even though we hurt from those kinds of conclusionary decisions made about us, God by no means is through with us. The enemy would love for us to believe it's all over and there's nothing that of good could happen beyond that heartache. Jesus would say, as he did to disciples on a given day, in what they were doing, follow me. In essence, that is the premise of a disciple, just one who follows. 
if you want to start taking a checklist of what it takes to be a disciple, and it's built totally on what you have done and what you continue to do without error, no faults, no flaws, that is a disciple, then you're getting it wrong because there's no one within the inclusionary picks, the first picks of Jesus that ran perfectly well. Some not mentioned much about, but we know that in the drama of being a disciple and among 12 other men with unique personalities, they had challenges as a team, as a winning team. And at times the church also can face challenges as a winning team because of the unique personalities that at times seems to distance ourselves from the core reality of being a disciple. But it's not necessarily how being a disciple relates to how perfectly you are. It's really to how much you want to follow Jesus in being perfected. And I always use that. We are being perfected. It's not about perfection. If it were so, none of us qualify. The conclusion on this says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. The implication could be disobedience at a time in which the apex of faith was reached and the defiance to the cultural norm. Remember, cultural norm is abnormality. But what the culture says is right, God would say is wrong, and we need to be able to say that at times we can't get back to the apex of our faith, the pinnacle of being an expressed entity of spiritual life in a manner that pleased God and influenced people. The point being made is that it really is at where you're at being what God says you are, his disciple. I don't start my day with a checkoff list on how well yesterday went. I'm reminded of how actually yesterday had many flaws. I failed in many ways. But I know that the story isn't over. And so the psalmist here is actually making a very important point about your story. It's not over. He simply comes back to this, and that is simply, I've gone astray like a sheep. What did he know about sheep? Deep in his heart, he knew that they were vulnerable. This being David who pens this knew how to pursue them and to rescue them, even from the bear and the lion's paw. He would be able to say with absolute sincerity to Saul, I can take on that giant, and this is what I did even before this day. I faced off with lions. I grabbed their beard, and I slew them. Bears, I took them on. I pelted them. This was an honest disclosure of a young boy who believed in the power of God to do great things in his life. Even when his brothers would be able to say things against him that weren't true, but even what we do know, that David's heart was after God, even though his adult life would also say he was vulnerable to making decisions contrary to God. 
What happens to a man and woman in their latter years is not really unlike what they are vulnerable to in their earlier years. Innocence seems, though, to be excused, whereas experience and maturity seems to be inexcusable. How could it be? How is it that I've done this, allowed this? And so the disciple cannot be simply measured in terms of failure. The disciple is measured in the faithfulness of God to see him or her through no matter what. How is your mercy going today? How do you feel towards others who have failed in your eyes or in the eyes of others? The way that you acquaint yourself with being one who is merciful is having come through a crisis, having mercy been granted to you. That's how it happens. When we go through something that is very hard for us, it is God's grace and mercy being shown to us that teaches us how to be towards others who are in their crises. And it's not simply something that has happened to them. Very often it can be this. I was the cause of that. I was the reason that that went in that direction. That person moved towards that decision. And that's when a person needs mercy and grace. Psalm 119, from its beginning, which is promising, to its conclusion, which must be promising, that there's a belief that one who goes astray like a lost sheep, he qualifies now, but I'm a servant. Seek me, God. I started out as a servant. I journaled my pilgrimage with you as one willing to serve you wherever, whenever, as well as I could. I see my vulnerabilities. I understand that my consistencies have failed. I'm a lost sheep, but I'm your servant and seek me. I do not forget your commandments. And that's something that also is a very precious note. You're here today because you haven't forsaken his commandments. It's not just a social thing that you're here for. We make probably the greatest coffee in town. <laughs> for those of you that haven't had your first cup, we do okay. But the reason that you're here is you've returned to the commandments that you haven't forgotten. That's why we're here. That's why we've continued to be here. There can always be a motivation other than that but the bottom line is, is God sees something much deeper than that shallowness. He's cheering for us. And he wants us to know that he's not through with us. And the reason that that's important is because you have someone yet to influence. Mark was brought up here as a prop. <laughs> because he propped me up. As you get older, there are things that compress you. You see the timeline change for you. So when you get to look at a next generation guy that actually came in in the budding of his youth, who now is moving through a midlife, 
that's where he, when he remembered me at 47, that's a very sharp remembrance and a detail actually that's very funny that he would remember, I was thinking I was turning 48. He goes, nope, 47, you had to redo it again. And I think about that very often. I use it as an illustration. I had to redo my 47th year. Why? I don't know. But in my heart and my mind, I repeated my 47th year. The Lord held me back in second grade through my parents, and I had to do my 47th year as a repeat. And I can't even tell you if I got it better. I can't even tell you that I did better in my second grade year. I don't think I did. I still remember going to special classes. And I went because that's what was ordained for me. I still never understood it, but I did when I became a teacher. And I had to make concessions for students that needed additional help. And the funny thing is that one of those deficiencies I had, which was mathematics, proved to be true for getting my 47th year. But the other was speech. I didn't understand phonetics. It was something that I could not reckon with. I didn't understand the signs and the symbols, the prefixes, the suffixes. I didn't care. I wanted to go out and play. And that's perhaps something that needs to be encouraged too. As a disciple that I am today, I was, in my opinion, an unmitigated failure in my youth. Not to the degree that I moved into depression. I'm just saying I was oblivious. And God says, you haven't seen the midpoint from the beginning. Some of you need to know that you haven't seen or been to the midpoint of yet the beginning. You've started out because I've ordained you to start out. And the titling, which again, I'm going to go down and pick up. Because it was actually penned while I was sitting and anticipating the song that I'd asked Stephen to sing. The beginning, the becoming. That's what we need to remember. Psalm 119 records basically the becoming of a man of God on a commitment acknowledged in the beginning that the testimonies, the law, the commandments, the precepts would be embraced by him. And he would expressly endeavor to please the Lord in being true to them. The bemoaning, that's what a majority of us have gone through for an entire year or longer. Things that just haven't turned out well and it hurts. It weighs us down. But that's not God's fault. In fact, it's the reason that he came. Because when sin entered into the world, it welcomed in this very important part of the emotional crisis of the human condition. Sin provokes great bemoanings, and it manifests itself in ways that we can't even truly anticipate. How did this happen? Why is it happening? It's the fallout of sin. But God's triumphant, and that's what's important right now to realize. Because as it continues, it's this. The beautiful breaking. And that's something that you and I probably have experienced too in different manners. And breakings happen when we come to the end 
of our reserve. There will always be a day in which we come to the end of our reserve, or the Lord has filled us up and we spill out. There's a breaking on both sides of it. Christy and Zachary have been spilled out to capacity. It's a tender story. It's a dramatic story. It has affected hundreds, if not thousands of people. I do not know the extent, nor do they. We just have heard. And however the Lord chooses to do that, I don't know. As I've said before, it was a devotional appeal from Zachary on a given night and a given morning. And the Lord answered him. But the Lord isn't through addressing him. We haven't seen yet the midpoint. We've seen a beginning. By the way, it's important to note that that was a new beginning. Not a fumbled up finish. It was a new beginning that was appointed. We've been invited to be a part of that. But the most important person to invite into that is the Lord who's authored it. Psalm 119, as it continues, says, Princes persecute me without a cause, verse 161. Those are those who in authority over us persecute us without any reason. See, people have dispositional problems with authority at times, and so you will be subject to those who govern you, and with cruelty they may lift a hand and a voice against you. If you haven't experienced it, you will, because God shapes the character of a man and woman of God, not based on how easy they have it, but how they're doing when somebody is the undoing of them. You will be faced with a taskmaster. And the question is, will you look into the face of God in a brutality or a time of disrespect that you surely don't deserve? And most of us would say, I didn't deserve to be spoken to that way. I didn't deserve to be treated that way. And I believe that God would say, true, nor did my son. But as my son was treated that way, I'm allowing you to be treated in kind, that you might become what? More like him. The becoming, the beginning, the becoming, the bemoaning. When will it stop? Oh, it stops when you enter into my presence. When is that? When I have permitted you in my perfecting of you to come and live with me forever. Bemoanings happen also in what we would call the transition of life into the eternal. It hurts. We're absent of those whom we love. Most recently in October was the bemoaning that I went through and saying goodbye to Jim. That was my third eldest brother. Great guy. And he still is a great guy, but he's even a better guy because he's truly, perfectly suited for heaven. There's an absence on earth, but he's perfectly suited in heaven. He got called off the bench. We have yet some things to do. We have bases to run, home runs to hit. We have outs to make. And so bemoaning is a part of it, both in saying goodbye to those who have preceded us and living in the imperfections among those who are still with us, both highly spiritual 
and both corruptingly carnal. Those corruptingly carnal people are also the ones that the Lord's eye is upon, not in condemnation such as, can't wait to toast those guys, can't wait to judge them. Because the bottom line, if that were true, at some point in time when you could mark on your calendar an event in which you were corruptingly carnal, and God said that about you, where would you be today? See, we all can say, that's, that's totally who I was, what I did, my choice. The princes that have authority over us are permitted to lay stripes on our back. Talk to Joseph about it. They're permitted to say things that are highly inaccurate. There's a store that I visited, and in my visiting of them, I was so discouraged. I'll keep it confidential, but just to say that from the management down to the entirety of those who were workers there, profanity just flowed from their mouths. And as I was touring the aisles, I was going, how could this be? This wasn't a goof. It wasn't simply a verbal, oops, didn't mean to say that, pardon me. It was a continual running of the mouth with verbiage that is labeled nothing less than profanity and taking the Lord's name in vain. I went outside, actually, of the store, chose not to do business in the store, and I took note of management, sectors of who is running the tiered group in Oregon, up to the general manager. And I was going to take a picture to make a call. And I stopped going, well, what do I want here? Would it be really to my advantage to say, how can I talk to the management in a way in which I show compassion and mercy as opposed to complain against management in which a judgment could be rendered? Isn't that tough? Everything about me says they have no business in management. Again, I'm keeping that confidential, but I've never seen a management team that permits from their mouth and from their employees to speak the way that they spoke. They even mocked somebody that they were taking a phone call on because of where they were presuming the phone call was being taken. But there I was in the midst of Babylon, and I wanted judgment. I wanted that store cleaned out. I wanted it to look like a Les Schwab. Or like a Texaco, the man with the star races to clean my window. That's what they used to do. You guys, only some of you know that. In the conclusion of this, David makes a testimony about where he's been on the pilgrimage, meaning that he doesn't get a lot of breaks. And in fact, he finds himself broken by those who have power and authority. But he says this, I stand in awe of your word. I got knocked down, but I stand in awe of your word. Got the breath just completely removed from my lungs took a blow to the solar plexus, but I stand in awe of your word. That's what we need to do. As one who finds great treasure, who wouldn't both want to stand 
and who wouldn't be impressed with great treasure. Even God will use that terminology that for some says, oh, well, that's a capitalist. They're no good. Well, there are other kind of ists that are far worse. And it's not being one who possesses finances. It's one who has possessed finances and they become his or her idol. I hate and abhor lying. What a great beginning to a conclusion in assessing what this person finds to be abhorrent. Lying. But I love your law, the law of God, what God teaches and directs us to do obediently. I love this too. Seven times a day I praise you. That's not a checkoff list. He's just saying, this is what I do. This is who I am. Sometimes it's five, sometimes it's seven times a day. You know, we have on our clock what we could say, ah, this is what he did today. The psalmist here is just declaring that this is a part of who he is, not impressing anybody else. We can only be impressed because God directed him to write it and to have this as a collection for us. But what a beautiful testimony it is. Whenever you pray, whenever you read, whenever you consider the things of God, that God marks those occasions. Why? Because in essence, you're practicing what that song was announcing. You're a disciple. And what was the motivation? Because of your righteous judgments. One who took note of the evil, but took note more greatly of what God did that was his duty for fair dealings. That's what judgment is. We've been learning about that. God's duty for fair dealings with people who are ruthless. That's what David took note of. We take note of the unfair dealings of law, how things end up getting corrupted in the court adjudicating in ways we'd say, I wouldn't do that. How could they do that? Who's making decisions anyways? David simply takes notes on the things that God has done fairly. God has dealt with us beautifully. Great peace have those who love your law. And nothing causes them to stumble. Lord, I hope for your salvation. And I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. And I love them exceedingly. Just to emphasize again, the keeping of the testimonies are simply this, that you agree from God's perspective what he says he likes. That's in essence the testimonies. It's not so much what God has delivered you from or the exciting things that God has shown you, it's actually how excited you are for the way that God sees things in your life. God sees the things in our life, and he has great delight in seeing us through this life, the good and the bad and the ugly. It's his privilege, and it is his responsibility to tend us with a heart that we would call passion for someone. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies for all my ways are before you. Precepts, the close examination of the details of your life. God looking in on your life and you 
being one who carefully scrutinizes your character. Not to the fault of saying, God wouldn't want anything to do with me, but to the application of God's faithfulness of how much God wants to spend time with you and not change his commitment to you. That's how you stay encouraged. All my ways are before you. Very close to what is penned in the Psalms that directs us to how wonderfully we have been put together. Let my cry come before you, 169. O Lord, give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. That, that wholesome heart that utters, dares to utter prayer to the Lord, supplicate to make soft. Well, God doesn't need to have a soft heart, but it's showing you that the psalmist knows the attitude of prayer, the appeal to God, how God listens for us and loves to hear from us regardless. Even if it's kicking a can down the road, God will accept that as a means of audience if you're directing your prayers to him. Even your complaints. David is viewed as one who even would say, I made my complaint known before the Lord. But there's a way to complain to the Lord, and there's a way not to. Let my supplication come before you, 170. Deliver me according to your word. How do you want to be delivered today? May it be delivered according to his word. What has he said to you? Or perhaps is there a silent time right now? If you opened the Bible and you opened your heart, what would he say to you? For the purpose of this, deliverance from a bad attitude, from a heart that perhaps is hardened towards the things of God or towards the people of God, towards the government of God. By the way, the government is of God. It shows you how much God is needed in our government by the things that disappoint you in it. My lips shall utter praise for you. Teach me your statutes. My tongue shall speak of your word for all your commandments are righteousness. Let your hand become my help for I have chosen your precepts. I've chosen them. The choice of scrutiny. Sometimes we choose on the premise of acceptation. I'm accepted. I'm treated by that group, by that person, in a way that, you know, it affects me. But actually God would say, well, in that case, though, it's actually infecting you. Don't be so easily persuaded by those who give you the warm fuzzies. Turn your ears towards me. You may need to hear a brisk word, a word that actually corrects you as opposed to invites you to continue on in the way that you are going. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live, and it shall praise you. Haven't you been there before where you've said, uh, the battery is wearing out. I feel like I'm ready to go below the oak tree with a spade in my hand, digging my own place in the earth. But this psalmist said, it's not yet over for me. 
my soul shall live, it shall praise you. We need to say that to a generation. It's worth living. Whatever you're going through is worth living. While you draw breath, God's authorship of your life is worth living no matter what. Too many people take a fast exit because they have not faced off with God in truth and in grace and in mercy. They need to hear that. And those who more difficultly are hard to understand and whom you want a judgment. I'm, I'm serious. I battled with wanting to judge them. And even for a moment, I said, I think I'm going to go up there and melt that guy behind the counter. I'm going to intentionally use vocabulary that will be righteous, and I will torch him in front of his employees to where he will discount anything and everything that I want. But then I get, well, that would make me a criminal, so that won't work. But I battled in one aisle after another, and I know that it's not yet over. I could forget, but I don't believe God wants me to forget. And I believe in some manner he wants me to reach out to that person that he might understand the love of God and how corrupting he is and really, in my opinion, stifling perhaps sales in the store. I have, I've never seen or heard anything like it before from management. It wasn't the type of manager I was. Concluding again, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. It allows us truly to say, this sounds like a man broken in honesty, but beautiful in becoming once again what he started out doing. And that's the point. Discipleship is simply starting out, doing once again what you started out doing, following the Lord. Every day, an opportunity to say, I'm going to start out once again doing what I did because the invitation from the Lord was so resoundingly clear. I mean, honestly, how many of us have had a bad cup of coffee? Like, never again. Never again from that machine. Never again from that cape. But never again. Well, we don't. We always give coffee another chance, right? We do. We always give tea another chance. We always give ice cream another chance. Whatever it is that was savory to us, sweet to us, we give it another chance. But we don't necessarily give ourselves another chance when it would seem that we've disappointed God by choice. God would say, this psalmist concludes positively what he proclaimed in the beginning. It's a new start. Whether you're young or old, every day is a new start. To say to the end of my life, I lived it in the belief that God was worthy to express himself through me or even to use me as an illustration of the complexity of being a human being and required to live a highly spiritual life. I'm going to do my best. I'll do better. Where I fail, and I use this in my marriage ceremony, where I fail, I will confess. Where you fail, I will forgive. That's always a part of the marriage vows that I share with young couples. 
because there will be failure and the necessity is forgiveness. And only for a footnote, because I think it's very compelling too, and then I conclude here to show you how easy it was. In Matthew chapter 4, from that time Jesus began, this is 17, chapter 4, verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He doesn't say repent for judgment is pending in one day. He's promising that it's worth turning to him before everything else that has distracted us from him. Repenting simply means whatever it is that's your thing that's greater than my thing, turn from it. Because when you let go of it, you're going to grab hold of something that will reward you far beyond your dreams, far beyond your distractions. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not your pending judgment is soon to be reckoned with. Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee in verse 18 saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There you go. Discipleship was that Jesus came along a shoreline in which those men were doing what they were doing. And God simply says, I can use that. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You can understand that. I can use that, Richard. You're a teacher of young people. I can use that. And then he threw in, which was only my heart's desire, was to sing. And you can sing, too. I can use you as a teacher, and you can sing, too. But what if I want to sing first? Okay, open your teaching service with singing, and then you can sing first. But now the band says, we're coming out and rocking the pavilion. So I took a step back. <laughs> discipleship has flexibility, but discipleship also has confidence in the immutability of what God has said about you. And so that's really how I wanted to conclude Psalm 119, the beginning, the becoming, the bemoaning. Yeah, we'll experience something that'll really just torque us off, depress us, oppress us, but it's not God. It's our humanity. It's encroaching culture. We must move through it and influence it in a way that it does not influence us. For what? The beautiful breaking in which God breaks through, gives revelation to you. Why? Because you're a beautiful bride. All of us are. That's what the word declares. We're going to have the band close us out in worship. And if you guys would come up here, and Rivs is going to lead us through our time of communion right now. And then I'll come up with just a closing word.